The History Channel Original Podcast. History This Week, April 19th, 1951. I'm Sally Helm. General Douglas MacArthur's plane touches down just after midnight. He's coming into Washington, D.C. from San Francisco. When he landed there yesterday, it was his first time on U.S. soil in nearly 15 years. All that time, the general has been overseas. He's most famous for commanding the Allied troops in the Pacific during World War II. And by this point, 1951, he is the country's best-known war hero. When he lands in D.C., he gets a hero's welcome. 12,000 people are at the airport to greet him. Some of the news photographers have anticipated that the crowds will get rowdy, so they've put on football helmets to prepare. MacArthur arrives with his wife, Jean, and his 13-year-old son, Arthur MacArthur IV. As the crowd swarms, Arthur MacArthur immediately gets lost in the fray, and one of the general's close advisors gets knocked over and topples to the ground. The walk from the plane to the car is only 50 feet, but it takes the general 15 minutes to go that far. He has to greet the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, make his way through the tangle of reporters and dignitaries, greet his well-wishers, women waving their handkerchiefs, men waving their hats. Quite the welcome for a general who has just been fired. MacArthur is coming home from commanding troops in the Korean War, and he didn't necessarily have a choice in the matter. About a week earlier, President Truman relieved him of his command. The two of them had significant differences about how the war should be fought. MacArthur wanted to push harder against America's enemies. But Truman thinks that having MacArthur in Korea had put the U.S. on the path to World War III. Today, the rise and fall of General Douglas MacArthur. Could MacArthur have led his country into a nuclear war? And how, after this triumphant return, does the general end up losing his own party's political support? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In the 1980s, H.W. Brands encountered a mystery. Brands is now a professor of history at UT Austin, but back then he was a grad student and he was reading about General Douglas MacArthur. He had put together the story of MacArthur's rise, how and why the general became this celebrity figure in American life. But he just couldn't figure out the story of MacArthur's fall. Upon his return from Korea and his hero's welcome, it seems like MacArthur is marching towards the presidency. I thought, oh boy, he's just going to wrap this thing up and he'll get the nomination quite quickly and that will be that and he'll become the next president of the United States. But a strange thing happened. The Republicans, people in MacArthur's own party, they began to peel off one by one without without any explanation. And it was though MacArthur was leading this parade and, and 
a short while, he looked behind him and the parade had all disappeared and he was out there by himself. And I couldn't figure out why. It's not until decades later, when the U.S. government declassifies some files, that Professor Brands will get his answer. But before we get there, it's important to understand just what a big deal Douglas MacArthur was. Douglas MacArthur was the son of Arthur MacArthur, who was a military hero from the Civil War. And Douglas MacArthur was raised essentially in the army, was raised to be a soldier. He really makes his name in the Pacific Theater during World War II. He becomes a five-star general, wins the Medal of Honor. He was a brilliant military mind. He was also someone who broke the mold of the American military mind as it related to politics. The tradition among career military officers was to remain politically neutral. In fact, MacArthur's boss during World War II didn't even vote for president to make the point that a general's job is to serve the commander-in-chief, no matter who he is. But MacArthur himself had political ambitions. He thought about how he could go from being a general to being president of the United States. And in the years after the Allied victory in World War II, in which MacArthur played a big role... The American people, in general, thought he was the greatest thing going. But not everyone loves him. Strikingly, the GIs, the regular soldiers who served under MacArthur, for the most part, hated his guts. Because he tended to take credit for things, where other generals might give credit to the GIs. And another person who is not a fan of MacArthur's? The man who becomes president at the end of World War II, Harry Truman. Truman thought MacArthur was an egotistic son of a bitch. Now, he couldn't say that in public. Harry Truman in private, once he started having a glass of bourbon at the end of the day, he would say that to people that he knew. But MacArthur was untouchable. Untouchable because the public loves him. And because President Truman just doesn't have the same military bona fides. Harry Truman had been a captain of artillery in World War I. So if the question had to do with anything military, well, who are you going to believe? MacArthur, the five-star general, or this hack politician from Missouri who never got a higher rank than captain? And so... In this post-war period, President Truman knows that he has to tread carefully, keep MacArthur on his side. And during this time, there are a lot of sensitive military questions to deal with. Because as World War II ends, the Cold War between the U.S. and the Soviet Union is beginning. The USSR is expanding its influence in Eastern Europe. Meanwhile, the U.S. is trying to maintain its own influence in Western Europe. Then in 1949, China becomes a communist country and aligns itself with the Soviet Union. Some U.S. politicians blame Truman for that. Anti-communist sentiment is intensifying in the U.S. And so, for the president, containing the spread of communism is a top military and political issue. Truman felt that he needed to demonstrate that he indeed was opposed to communism. This stance will eventually play an important role in the U.S. decision to go to war in Korea. The Korean War has been called a forgotten war in the U.S., and it's worth taking a moment to lay out the origins of the conflict. For that, we spoke with Professor David Kong, who directs the Korean Studies Institute at USC. 
He told us Korea was a part of the Japanese Empire. It had been colonized by Japan in 1910. And so there was a question about what would happen to the country after Japan lost World War II. The Soviet Union says we can go in and demobilize the Japanese troops and police officers and government officials in Korea, replace them with other officials. But then the U.S. They didn't want the Soviets to have all of the Asian landmass under their control. So they they said, we'll take half. The two countries decide to divide Korea at the 38th parallel. And what you saw after that was basically a lot of chaos in both the North and the South because the Koreans had expected to be one country and now there were two countries. And a mad scramble for power between all these different factions. Now, Korea was already dealing with political, societal, and economic disarray before the country got divided. That was the result of being colonized for 35 years. But Professor Kong told us that the division of the country exacerbated those problems. And that division was supposed to be temporary. But Korea's location made it a valuable military asset for both superpowers. And so as the Cold War intensified, neither the U.S. nor the USSR was willing to let go of its influence in the country. In 1948, the Soviets put a leader in place in the North, Kim Il-sung. He's staunchly pro-communism. In the South, a man named Syngman Rhee becomes the U.S.-backed leader. He's strongly anti-communist. Both men are authoritarians, and each would prefer to be the leader of the entire Korean peninsula. And they're happy to fight for it. So tensions between the North and South begin to rise. Along that demilitarized zone, where they had just literally drawn a line, there was just constant shelling and constant shooting by both sides. Around this time, 1948, Professor Kong's family actually gets caught up in the conflict. My family left North Korea with nothing. They left everything behind, a house, everything. Started over with nothing but what they could carry. A lot of Korean families have this kind of story. Because in June of 1950, the North crosses the 38th parallel and attacks South Korean forces, starting the Korean War. Professor Brands told us President Truman is in his hometown of Independence, Missouri, when he gets the news. It was an emergency of the first order, and he quickly got back to Washington as fast as he could. But in those days, before jet travel, it took a while. Meanwhile, who should be stationed nearby but General Douglas MacArthur? He is based in Japan. The U.S. has at this point withdrawn its troops from South Korea, and MacArthur makes a decision, without waiting for Truman's go-ahead, to send American troops back to support the South Korean army. So MacArthur, from the very beginning of things, considered that he had the ability and he had sufficient authority to commit the United States to this conflict that was not yet America's war. Neither Truman nor the USSR wants a war in Korea. But Truman knows that politically, the U.S. has to take a stand against communism there. So he actually agrees with MacArthur's choice to send troops. But the war at first goes very badly for the South Koreans and the Americans. Professor Kong told us when the North Korean troops first attack, 
They just pulverized the South Korean troops, which were totally unprepared and far outgunned. And within a matter of weeks, had captured Seoul and pushed all the way down to the to the southern port city of Busan. And when U.S. troops get involved, things don't go much better. The American public at home is looking on with mounting worry. Professor Brands told us, The outbreak of war itself took Americans by surprise. Most of them have not been paying much, if any, attention to Korea. When Americans entered the battle for South Korea, Americans assumed that that would stop the North Korean advance. And then when the North Koreans kept rolling and the Americans had to retreat and retreat, Americans began to get really alarmed and questions were raised, fingers were pointed. President Truman has allowed the United States to been caught by surprise. Meanwhile, both General MacArthur and the South Korean president, Syngman Rhee, want to be more aggressive. And this is where the split developed between MacArthur and Truman. Because Truman looked upon the fighting in Korea as a sideshow to the main Cold War. He thinks that the main front of that war is in Europe. His goals are to push back on Soviet incursions there and also prevent the Cold War from becoming a hot war. But MacArthur... MacArthur had this habit of thinking that whatever theater he was in was the central theater of whatever conflict was going on. So for MacArthur, the war in Korea is really the beginning of World War III. So while Truman wants restraint, MacArthur believes that the U.S. needs to push harder. He begins to advocate for a really dangerous military mission one that he thinks can turn the tide of the war. He wants to attack a port called Incheon. This will essentially allow him to go around the North Korean troops and attack them from behind. This invasion was an amphibious operation, and it required hitting this window when the tides were just right. And if it was delayed at all, then it would utterly fail and many soldiers would die. And the The American Joint Chiefs of Staff said, this is too risky, you can't do it. And MacArthur said, precisely because it is so risky, the North Koreans will never expect it and will catch them by surprise. The Truman administration is worried that if they say no to this, MacArthur will make them look weak in the press. So they decide, let's just let him do it. If it goes wrong, we'll make sure everyone knows it was all his idea and he'll take the fall. So they let this invasion go. And it succeeds brilliantly. It utterly reverses the momentum in the war. MacArthur, once again, is the hero of the moment. He becomes untouchable. And his political judgment becomes almost unquestionable. After this, MacArthur keeps pushing troops up through North Korea. And eventually, they're getting close to the Yalu River which marks the border between Korea and China. At which point, the Chinese government starts dropping heavy hints that if American forces get too close to the Chinese border, then China, out of self-defense, might have to enter the war in Korea. This sets off major alarm bells in Washington. The People's Liberation Army of China was the largest army in the world. So the United States did not want to get into a slogging match against them. And this is when Truman decides he needs to talk directly to MacArthur. He tries to get MacArthur to come to D.C., but the general says, essentially, sorry, I'm busy. And so Truman basically has to go hat in hand 
himself all the way out across the Pacific to Wake Island to meet MacArthur there. This happens in October of 1950. The president asks the general, do you think that China is serious about entering the war? And MacArthur says... They wouldn't dare to intervene. And if they did intervene, they would be annihilated by MacArthur's force. But soon after that conversation, China does enter the war. Here's Professor Kong. Mao didn't want to, uh, but at the same time, China was not about to let Korea become under the control of the U.S. And so they intervened. Professor Brands told us when Chinese troops enter the war, American troops are really unprepared. It was the worst defeat in the history of the U.S. Marines. And the Marines made a point of never retreating. So they said, well, actually, we're just advancing in reverse. So the tide of the war is turning once again. And the U.S. is now fighting against a major communist power. So MacArthur, he had some serious explaining to do. After the Chinese invasion, MacArthur goes dark for a few days. Then he comes out and starts saying that it's all part of the plan. He's luring the Chinese army into a trap, which is not true. And then he starts pointing the finger at the Truman administration. He doesn't blame the president directly. But he does say that he, MacArthur, is being made to fight with one hand tied behind his back. And so people can tell that tensions are brewing between the two men. And then, in December of 1950, things escalate. President Truman holds a press conference about the war. And a reporter asks, is the use of the atom bomb under consideration in Korea? Truman doesn't want to say no, because he worries that could empower China to put even more troops into the war. The threat of nuclear weapons might be holding them back. So instead, he says, Atomic weapons, like other weapons, have always been considered for use. And he thought that was pretty innocuous. Yeah, okay, anytime you go to war, you consider the use of your weapons. It doesn't mean we're going to use them, but we consider the possibility. Then the reporters follow up. Well, who will make the decision about whether the bomb will be used? And Truman prided himself on not second-guessing his generals. His belief was, if you appoint somebody general, you let them do what they need to do. And so his immediate reaction was to say that decision will be in the hands of the field commander. Meaning General MacArthur. Well, that's what really got the attention of the world, because most of the world had no such high sense of MacArthur's reputation as the American public did. Most of the world thought that MacArthur was a warmonger. And so this is when the world began to get alarmed that this dispute between one group of Koreans and another group of Koreans had blown up into this thing that might become a world war. Privately, Truman is worried about that too. He does not want to use another nuclear bomb. But what if MacArthur pushes U.S. forces into a position where they'll be annihilated unless Truman does use the bomb? Then the president of the United States would have been put in a very difficult position. Do you allow the destruction of American army just so you can say you didn't use nuclear weapons? That would have been a very difficult decision for a president to make. Meanwhile, MacArthur has started to write letters outright criticizing President Truman. Those letters get leaked to the press. Allies see that and they get even more worried. They began wondering, well, 
Who is making policy for the United States? Is policy with the president or is policy with this General MacArthur? And so when it got to that point, then finally Truman said enough is enough for the good of the presidency, for the good of the country. I need to fire that son of a bitch. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. On April 11th, 1951, MacArthur is at his home in Tokyo, having lunch with some guests, when he gets the word. President Truman has decided to relieve him of his command in East Asia. His wife actually hears it first on the radio. She comes into the room and whispers the news into her husband's ear. MacArthur's face freezes. And then he says to her, Jeannie, we're going home at last. To MacArthur's credit, he never disputed Truman's authority. And when Truman said, you're relieved? Okay, we said, I'm relieved. As all this is happening... The whole country is getting a crash course reminder in the powers of the president. Truman, the commander-in-chief, is the civilian head of the military. His generals have to listen to him. And so no one disputes that he has the constitutional authority to fire MacArthur. But many people think it was the wrong decision. Truman was going out on a long, thin limb by firing Douglas MacArthur in the middle of a war. At this point, Truman is pretty unpopular at home. And after firing MacArthur... His approval rating fell to 22%. That was lower even than Richard Nixon in the depths of the Watergate scandal. People are sending him letters saying they never should have voted for him. The Chicago Tribune says he should be impeached. There's a couple of towns in the country that just happen to be named Truman for other reasons entirely, and they start talking about, we're going to change the name of our town. And General MacArthur sees an opportunity to live out his long-held political dreams. On April 18th, 1951, he flies across the Pacific and lands in San Francisco, coming back to the United States for the first time since before World War II. He celebrated when he touches down in San Francisco. His plane flies across the country. He celebrated in Washington. He celebrated everywhere. And MacArthur has not announced that he's running for president. A lot of people suspect that he will. Then he's asked to give this address to a joint session of Congress. On April 19th, just a day after touching down in San Francisco and 12 hours after his hero's welcome at National Airport in D.C., MacArthur goes to Congress. 
and he gives this televised address. This is going to be a moment where the hero from World War II speaks and this guy who has a bone to pick with the incumbent president speaks. And so the room is hushed, the house chamber is hushed. Across the country, people are also watching on TV. About 30 million people tune in. I stand on this rostrum with a sense of deep humility and great pride. MacArthur is a master orator. He had a sense of the dramatic, or some people said the melodramatic, and he knew how to play on the emotions of his listeners. In this particular speech, he didn't dwell very much on differences regarding policy in Korea and in East Asia. He alluded to them. It has been said in effect that I was a warmonger. Nothing could be further from the truth. It was really clear that he would have more to say about those later. And people cheered when he gave the applause lines. In war, there is no substitute for victory. They wept when he gave his weeping lines. I have just left your fighting sons in Korea. And when he ended his speech saying, you know, it recalls to mind that old soldier's barracks song about how old soldiers never die. They just fade away. An old soldier who tried to do his duty as God gave him the light to see that duty. Well, when he concludes his speech that way, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. There was hardly a dry eye in the country. People love this speech. One congressman says afterwards that MacArthur spoke with the voice of God. A regular citizen who watched the speech is quoted in the Philadelphia Inquirer the next day, saying that afterwards, he turned to his wife and told her, I'm crying and I am not going to hide it because I feel we are losing a man that we cannot afford to lose. President Truman disagrees. He privately calls the speech 100% bullshit. But MacArthur's political fortunes seem to be at an all-time high. And then, a few weeks after this speech, the general sits down to give testimony in a congressional hearing. He's testifying about the war in Korea what's happening, and what he thinks should happen. Congress also hears from other senior military officials. For national security reasons, the hearings are not open to the public. But at the end of every day, the advisors to the Joint Chiefs of Staff go over the transcript and decide what information to release to the public. They release a lot. Every day, there's as much as three or four pages of broadsheet newspapers filled with the testimony. And if you read this, you assume you're getting the full story. They seem to be airing these things in great detail. This is the coverage that Professor Brands himself read in his grad school research. And it seemed to suggest that MacArthur's rise to the presidency was imminent. But a small amount of the material that the committee members are hearing is being withheld from the public. It is classified. And that is the material that shows exactly why MacArthur's own party will soon quietly stop backing him in his quest for the presidency. What 
Members of the investigative committee learned what they heard was convincing testimony that if the U.S. followed MacArthur's recommendations, the U.S. could get involved very quickly in World War III and that the United States might lose World War III. Testimony from two members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff contradicted MacArthur's view that all the U.S. needed was the will to win the war. Much more was lacking than will. What was lacking was airplanes. What was lacking was troops. What was lacking was ships. What was lacking was logistical supplies. And this was intelligence that was quite eye-opening to a lot of those Republicans who had been supporting MacArthur implicitly against Harry Truman. This testimony is classified for a reason. It would be really damaging material for America's adversaries to learn. In fact, it isn't declassified until over 50 years later. And when Professor Brands eventually reads those declassified documents, he finally understands why MacArthur's political ambitions never panned out. The situation then was more dangerous than anybody in public had realized. The Truman administration realizes. It appeared that MacArthur himself either didn't realize it, because he wasn't privy to all the inside information in the Pentagon, or he simply didn't want to admit it. The war in Korea doesn't really end well for anyone. The fighting there lasts until 1953. Professor Kong tells us the last two years were especially brutal for the North. American forces... They bombed everything there was to bomb in North Korea. It got to the point after a couple of years, there was nothing left to bomb. By some estimates, 75% of the buildings on the North Korean peninsula were destroyed during the war. An estimated 2 to 3 million Koreans died. The war ends in what is essentially a stalemate. So having surged all the way south to the end of the peninsula and all the way north to the top of the peninsula, they were now back exactly where they started, having destroyed the entire peninsula and literally millions of lives. And Korea, of course, is still divided today. There's no way to know what would have happened in Korea if MacArthur had had his way. But Professor Brands told us, and many historians agree, that MacArthur's strategy really could have led to the use of nuclear weapons. At a time when both the U.S. and the Soviet Union had them, that might have been utterly devastating. But MacArthur didn't stay in Korea. And he didn't rise to the presidency. He campaigns for the 1952 Republican nomination, But the Republicans who heard the testimony in those hearings, they quietly withdraw their support. MacArthur loses to another general, Dwight D. Eisenhower. And then, as he himself predicted, he just fades away. I now close my military career and just fade away. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. This episode was produced by Julie Magruder. History This Week is also produced by Ben Dickstein, Julia Press, and me, Sally Helm. McKamey Lynn is our senior producer, and our editor and sound designers are Corey Choi and Pat Burke. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. 